You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, we pray that your name would be glorified in this place as we set forth your Son, Jesus Christ, in all of his glory. It is in his name we pray. Amen. We conclude our sermon series on the solas, the final one, Soli Deo Gloria, glory to God alone this morning. And a particular passage of scripture that sets forth uh, what God's glory is, is Psalm 115. It was supposed to be in your bulletin, but we blew it. Oh, we totally blew it. So I would ask you to take your pew Bibles and open it to page 510, because I'm going to be preaching from Psalm 115, and you don't have to go there, but you may have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about unless you see it. This is not some trick to get you to handle a Bible. It is an administrative error that is the dean's fault. Let me read this for us. Psalm 115, verses 1 through 11. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. This is the word of the Lord. This is a Passover psalm. A psalm that would have been said around the dinner table there on the eve of Passover, gathering with family and friends to recall the great deeds that God did during that period of time where the Israelites who were under the shackle and burden of slavery under Pharaoh and Egypt were delivered by God, led through the wilderness on dry land, through the Red Sea. And even as they wandered, God fed them and led them by day with a pillar of cloud and by night a fiery pillar until they finally reached the banks of the Jordan River and there the Israelites were encamped and the city of Jericho lay on the other side. And the Bible tells us that the people of Jericho were sore afraid. (laughs) Why? Because they had heard of the name of the God Jehovah and the great deeds that he had done. And what did it require to defeat the city of Jericho? but to give God praise and honor and glory, to simply march around the walls and blow trumpets and shout. And just that brought the walls of that great city tumbling down in Canaan. And word spread throughout the land that the Israelites were there and they had a God 
who is mighty to save and to deliver the hands of the enemy into their hands. So those are the deeds they're recounting. But we can see that Psalm 115 was written in a different day and age. Yes, looking back on the great deeds that God had done in delivering them from Egypt and giving them the promised land of Canaan, but we see that they find themselves in a time where God's name is not honored. In fact, it's given derision. The nations ask, where is your God? Where is he now? He used to be strong and mighty. I remember the stories of him consuming the, the altar when Ezekiel had the showdown with the prophets of, of Baal. But where is your God now? We've not heard of him lately. We've not seen great things. And in fact, the Israelites moving into Canaan had completely compromised themselves, taking on the beliefs and practices of the people of Canaan. And so even they were a mixed bag. And yet the psalmist cries, not to us, O Lord, not to us, not the people of Israel, not your people, but to your name give glory. For apart from you, we can do nothing. There is a real sense in which God's glory is giving God credit where credit is due. That's why the reformers were so intent about God alone getting the glory, especially when it came to salvation that we're saved by not any merit of ourselves, but by God's grace and that alone. Everything is on Him. Nothing in my hand I bring, but to thy cross I tightly cling. And so the setting forth of God's glory is an important theme throughout the entirety of the Bible because of what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. But as I've been reading Psalm 115, I've been asking myself, what is God's glory? How would you define God's glory? You know, if an alien came to Alabama and asked me, what is this football thing that you people are so into? I could actually do a fair job of describing what the ball looks like and the field and the, the sidelines and the object of getting it into the end zone. So if they were to go to Tuscaloosa or Auburn, they would say, ah, that's football, depending on the team and the season. That's football. But can you do the same thing with God's glory? Can you describe God's glory to somebody? It's tough, isn't it? It's like trying to define, define beauty. But here in Psalm 115 and throughout the Bible, we find that God's glory is about who he is and what he sets out to do. The glory of God is inherent to his character. When Isaiah has that amazing experience in the temple in the year King Uzziah died, we hear them singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now you would think, if he's been talking about holy, 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 that Isaiah would have said, the whole earth is full of his holiness. 
And in a way, uh, you can't separate God's glory from his holiness. They are both tightly wound up into one another, that they are almost one and the same, but yet different. That God's glory is manifest in his otherness, his holiness, his perfection, his might, his power. He is completely unlike us that even in trying to describe who God is, our language fails us. So much so that the psalmist would say, even the heavens tell of the glory of God. You can look around and see God's glory manifested everywhere in his creation. So much so that you've probably had a mountain vista or been someplace where you've looked out and your breath has been taken away and you just can't describe what it is that you're experiencing. But what you're experiencing is the glory of God. But in a much more specific way, God's glory is manifested in who he is because Jesus is the divine image of God in human form. God's glory is manifested in his son, Jesus Christ. And not just by who he is, but what God sets out to do. The glory of God is the salvation of the nations. That is how God's glory is primarily manifested. And how is God's glory manifested? Who manifests God's glory? God himself. That's what we see here in verse 1. Not to us, but to your name give glory. It's a cry to God. God, give your name glory. That people might know once again who you are and what you've done for the nations. And coming and saving them. If you want to get an idea of what it means for God to set forth his own glory, we see a glimpse of that in the Lord's Prayer. We pray, hallowed be thy name. Now, who has any idea what that means? When's the last time you used the word hallowed outside of the Lord's Prayer? If you did, extra way for this Sunday. I've never heard anybody, that was a joke, uh, I've never heard anybody use it. But if you want to get an idea of what it means to have God's name hallowed, read Ezekiel 36. I'm not going to go into Ezekiel 36 except to say that to hallow his name, which is God's work, is to save his people. That's how his name is hallowed. Through the saving of his people. And surely, like when Psalm 115 was written, there is great derision of God's name in our world. We know the commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. But to take the name of the Lord in vain is not simply OMG, but it's to live a life that brings discredit upon God's name. It's described here and what idolatry looks like. Uh, very wonderful and powerful words that paint an image for us. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see, ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell, hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk. Those who make them become like them. So do all who put their trust in him. Idolatry is living life as if God doesn't exist. 
And if you're living a life of idolatry, it means you're walking in darkness. You're just like the thing that you're worshiping. And you may say, well, I'm not worshiping this little figurine. And yet, whatever idolatry that we fall into, surely it manifests itself in that we become like the thing that we worship. Namely, people who actually are incapable of seeing God's glory and therefore not caring if his name is hallowed. The nation of Nepal just enacted a law aimed directly at Christians. It criminalizes conversion from one faith to another faith. And anyone found guilty of evangelizing in Nepal will be punished with a monetary fine and a required five-year imprisonment. And if you're a foreign national, after your five years in prison, you'll be sent home to your home country. That seems so far away. And yet you may hear from time to time that here at the Advent, we pray for our missionaries in Nepal. The Advent currently has missionaries serving there. And if their work is found out, they're going to have to pay a fine and serve five years in prison before they're brought back to the United States. Nepal is blind to who God is and what he has done. They ask, where is your God? Where is your God? But look at verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. That is a declaration of faith. Where the nations mock God, we respond, our God is on his throne in heaven and he does all that he pleases. Even the Nepalese government can't pass a law without God allowing it in his great sovereignty. That there's nothing that they can do to thwart the word accomplishing that for which it was purposed. Because after all, Nepal is not the first country to ever try and do this. What is the most Christian nation in the world? China. And yet the communist government there for decades has tried to thwart the spread of the gospel and yet there are more believers in China than any other nation in the world. It's been tried before. The Romans tried it 2,000 years ago when there was a man from Galilee who preached that he was the son of God and you tear this temple down and in three days I'll rebuild it. And they thought we can get rid of him. We'll simply crucify him on the cross. But even death couldn't keep him down. That on the third day he emerged from that tomb. A living God. An active God. A God that cannot be thwarted in his plans and his purposes for his people. To God alone be the glory. I mean, do we really think that the Holy Spirit is going to show up at the border of Nepal and say, well, I guess I can't go in? No. No, our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases, including bringing glory to his own name by thwarting governments and by the greatest miracle of all, thwarting sinful human hearts 
that even the hardest of hearts, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can be plowed up into fertile soil, that as the seeds of the gospel are sown, they begin to grow and bloom unto fruition and produce fruit. Now, there's no wonder that Psalm 115 was Martin Luther's favorite psalm. Oh, what he was up against at the time of the Reformation, the persecution, his near misses with death, uh, the declaration that anyone in Christendom could kill Martin Luther and not suffer any punishment for that crime. And yet Luther moved forward. Luther moved forward. During the Reformation, Luther had the opportunity, and he relished it, to engage with different theologians. He, do, he did this at Worms with Cardinal Cajetan, and he would do it in Leipzig with John Eck, who was the premier theologian in all of Germany. And one of the things that Eck would rail against with Luther was he would ask Luther this question. Luther, do you think you're the only one who knows what they're talking about? Do you think that the rest of the church is wrong and you're right? I'm acutely aware of the danger of hubris in the same way that Luther was. It may be that people ask, does the Advent think that they're the only ones who know what it's all about? Why are you celebrating the Reformation? It was so long ago. Why bring it up now? What difference does it make? Why do you think it's so important? We remember the Reformation not because of Luther or Calvin or Cranmer, but because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about Luther being right or the Advent being right, but about God being right, about his word being true. For our only hope for rescue is in Jesus Christ. And the moment we lose sight of that, we're dead. Like Luther, our heart, our conscience, is captive to the word of God and setting forth the gospel is his glory manifested in the world. Luther, after being holed up in the Wartburg Castle, translating the Bible into German, this was one of his first sermons when he returned back to Wittenberg. He said this, The Word created heaven and earth and all things. The Word must do this thing, and not we poor sinners. Take myself as an example. I opposed indulgences, but never with force. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. The word did everything. I did nothing. I let the word do its work. And so, in setting forth the gospel, we allow the word to do its work, which gives glory to God. Because this is what Psalm 115 is. It's a psalm of salvation. Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. 
He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. God does not have grandchildren. God has sons and daughters whom he adopts by grace and makes them children of God and heirs of his eternal salvation. It is up to every generation to take hold of the gospel message in Jesus Christ, which is freedom and release, and to proclaim it throughout the world by the power of his Holy Spirit. It doesn't come naturally, but God in his mercy and grace uses us to proclaim his gospel to the very ends of the earth, even where the nations ask, where is your God? And in the proclamation of the gospel, we say, behold our God, who is Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of the world. That is the glory of of the Lord. And so my friends, if we want to set forth God's glory in the world, we proclaim his gospel. We proclaim who Jesus Christ is and what he's come to do through his cross and resurrection. He's rescued us and he set us free from sin and death. And for that, we can only say to God alone, to God alone be the glory. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.